I want to talk for a few minutes on the handoff. We have an interesting Super Bowl match happening up tonight. Uh, in January of 2002, following the 2001 season, I had become a St. Louis Rams fan. I was a huge Kurt Warner fan. I was always Cowboys first, but I liked the Rams. And I liked Kurt Warner. And they had won, the Rams had won the 2001 Super Bowl. Best I remember. Maybe it was the 2000 Super Bowl. One of those two. And it was the 2000 Super Bowl. Because the Ravens won the 2001. I like them too. And, uh, but they were back in the game against the Patriots. The Patriots had started that season with a veteran quarterback that got hurt early in the season. And they had brought in their second-year quarterback who had been drafted 199th, if I remember correctly. Nobody really knew who he was. As a matter of fact, when they started the game, I'll never forget, I was watching the game. I can't remember who I was watching it with, but I was watching the game. I was watching it with my pastor. That's who it was in, in Owings Mills. And I was all rooting for the Rams. And they introduced the Rams, and they introduced Kurt Warner and, and Isaac Bruce and all the stars that we had. And then they got to the Patriots. And they said, the Patriots have decided not to have individual introductions, but to be introduced as a team. And I looked at my pastor, and I said, uh-oh. He said, what? I said, they're a team. They're not stars. They're a team. And they come out, and they were underdogs, but they beat the then St. Louis Rams. Now, what we didn't realize that year is that they were starting a dynasty. They were starting a run that today will be nine Super Bowl appearances since that Super Bowl of 2009. I mean, 2002. They have already won five of those nine. They've been the heir apparent. They've been the dynasty. They've been the ones everybody's like, well, if you can get past the Patriots. If, I believe this, if Tom Brady had retired last year, like every old man should, this morning, this place would be full of red jerseys because I believe fully that if Tom Brady hadn't been playing for the Patriots, the Chiefs would have been in the Super Bowl today. They're a dynasty. Now, on the other side of the ball, we have the now Los Angeles Rams. I believe it was three or four years ago they moved back to L.A. from St. Louis. They got back there and they stunk. And they went and they hired the youngest coach in modern NFL history to be their coach. They hired a coach that actually has people playing for him that are older than he is. They drafted a young quarterback. They drafted a young running back. And last year, they looked tough. They started this year as the young team to beat. At the end of the season this year, and if you're a real football fan, you'll know if I miss this, it was seven or eight coaches got fired. And everything that was on sports radio was everybody wanted to hire a young person like Sean McVay. They wanted to repeat what the Rams had done. They had become the picture of how to turn a team around. They haven't been to a Super Bowl since that Super Bowl that they went to at St. Louis back in 2002 off the 2001 season. They've not been all that competitive until last year. And now they're back in. This team with a destiny... 
young players, young coach, is facing this team that's been a dynasty. And as I began to look at this game and I began to ask God, where can I connect this in the Word? I began to find a story in 2 Kings chapter 2. Open your Bibles with me. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to read from the New, New, King, uh, New King James Version. This is the story of the end of the walk between Elijah and Elisha. It says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah with Elisha, excuse me, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets were at Jericho and came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away from away your master from over you today? He answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what? Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would allow me to preach this word with the, with the passion and the fire that you laid it into my heart. Lord, let me preach it in a way, Lord, that is understandable and, Lord, can be grasped a hold of so that everyone here who hears it can run with it. Lord, those who watch this on, on, on Facebook Live, they can, they can run with this word, Lord, that it can affect their life. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you something about Elijah and Elisha. I've talked a little bit about the Patriots and the Rams. Now let me talk about Elijah and Elisha. I realized something reading the Bible a couple of years ago that I had not understood before. 
I don't know that I've ever heard it before. I've heard it a couple other times since I realized it. It's one of those revelations that come to you. I realized that when you read the scripture, before a couple years ago, I always thought Elijah and Elisha were like buddies. Like Elijah was like, come on, Elisha, I'm going to teach you everything. But when you read the Bible, you find out that's not the way it was. Elijah didn't want Elisha. Elijah didn't choose Elisha. Elijah, I'm not even sure, liked Elisha. He took every chance he could to get Elisha to turn back. Take your hand off the plow. You're going to follow me. You're going to follow me now. Forget your daddy. Forget your mama. It's time to go. I'm going to make this tough on you. Elijah was never there to make Elisha's life easy. Can I give you a sad truth? I found a picture in my mind that looks like Elijah and Elisha. See, Elijah needed Elisha to continue the ministry. Elijah didn't choose Elisha. God chose Elisha. But Elijah would have been a failure if he had not imparted. Let me change that because he never imparted. I'll get to that later. If he had not finally given way his mantle to Elisha. Elijah's ministry, to sort of give you the end of the story, you've heard this before. Elijah's ministry is half as effective as Elisha's. Elisha died with one less than twice the miracles that Elijah had accomplished. And after his death, when he had been dead long enough that his body became bones, a man was thrown into his grave. And when that dead body hit the bones of Elijah, that dead body jumped up alive. I got another sermon I preached. I think I preached it here. How did I wake up here? That dead body woke up alive. And that man lived and that created the double portion of Elijah's ministry. Elijah needed Elisha, but he didn't want him. Now let me tell you the picture that God has shown me. The baby boomer and baby buster generations need the millennial generation. But we don't want them. They act different. They're weird. They're strange. They're goofballs. Because you're a millennial. Can, can I be honest? Let, let, let me be honest about this thing. We have very few millennials in the building. You know why? Because we are a baby boomer church. We, we, we don't need them, but I'm going to tell you, I believe God is raising up the millennial generation to do twice what we've done. We may not like them. We may not have chosen them. We may not be looking to them for anything, but God has said, I've got you there to teach them. I have called you to lead them. And we're coming to a place that we need a handoff. So that is the for, that is the picture that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the four quarters of the handoff today. The first quarter I find happens where they start in Gilgal. Gilgal literally means circle of stone. When I heard that, I got to thinking about the good old-fashioned huddle. As the players circle up, and they get the play. They, they find out where are they going to go from here. How are they going to move on from here? I began to think about this beginning. I began to look at this game. Tom Brady, on the left side of the screen, I had to check to see which finger this is, left side. Left side of the screen was a rookie in the 2000, in year 2000. The other quarterback that he's facing today, Jerry Goff, was five years old. 
There was a disparity. There is a difference in their age. They're from different generations. But when they start the game tonight, they're going to start at the same place. They're going to start in the same stadium. They're going to start playing for the same trophy. They're playing in the same game. I've got news for you. When we start, we start together. Oh, now, Pastor, that's not true. I started my walk 49 million years ago. Tell me about it. I started a long, long time ago in a land far, far away. But I tell you where you really started. You started at the foot of the cross. And I don't care if you came to the foot of the cross in 1940, 1950, 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990, the year 2000, the year 2010, or 2019. It doesn't matter when you came to the foot of the cross. We came to the same place. We started in the same spot. But there's something that I notice here. Elijah, the Bible here says, listen to this. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by the world, by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah went with Elisha. I believe Elijah went to this young man that he didn't really care for. And he said, we can't stay here. God is moving us. I can't, we, we got to get moving. We got to get started. I can't just sit here. We have created a generation of sit here people. You can see me. You know why I got so excited when we sang that song, uh, um, um, Waymaker? Because we got to that tag that said, even when I don't see it, you're moving. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. Never stop working. You know what went through my mind? All the times I've led worship from that stage and looked out here and I didn't see nothing. I say it all the time. I think everybody in the church needs to lead worship at least one Sunday. I'm so glad Jesus lived in me. Oh, now some of you are saying, well, if you sang a hymn, we'd be that way. Oh, come on now. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. All of a sudden, we need some people that rise up and say, we can't stay here. We can't continue here. We can't stay in a circle. See, that's what we do in the church. Mm, we've circled ourselves up inside the walls of this sanctuary, and if somebody can make their way inside the circle, that's great. We'll welcome them, but we're not doing anything to get outside this circle. We need some pe- somebody to rise up and say, we can't stay here. Elisha says, I'm going wherever you go. So we get ready to go on. Next place we're going to talk about is Bethel, the house of God. Bethel literally means house of God. This is where, this is where um, um, Jacob had come into the presence of God. This is where he had found the presence of God. When I look at this, I begin to understand that the house of God is a place that we should be. We should know how to get there. Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, a little bit later on today will coach his ninth Super Bowl. He's been there before. Nothing about this week 
has surprised me. If you ever watched Bill Belichick in an interview, he is the most exciting person. Well, we're going to play in the Super Bowl again. Tom Brady's a good quarterback. We've been here before. If you can translate his saying, is like, it's just another game. When you've been to nine of them, it's just another game. But, you know, I didn't even think about this when I chose these pictures. This is a typical Bill Belichick picture. Man, that looks like the church during worship right there. Looks like the church when I'm preaching. But on the other side, we have Sean McVay. Sean McVay, 33 years old, young man. Younger than most of us in this room. He's going today to play in his first Super Bowl. When you see him in an interview, he's like, Well, number one, Bill Belichick, and I'm not going to get into how age moves. I'm, I'm going to stop there. But Sean McVay, he's excited. Look at the picture. This is a typical Sean McVay. Yeah! He's excited. He's, he's fired up. We need the millennials to put some energy and some fire and some vision behind what God has done in our life. When they got to Bethel, Elijah gets to Bethel. He's told Elijah to stay in Gilgal. I'm going, but you stay. And I said, I ain't staying nowhere. I'm going with you. We need some millennials that will hold on and say, we're following. Elijah gets to Bethel. House of God. And he realizes church isn't enough. Man, I could take time and do testimonies tonight, today. We'll do that as part of our prayer service later on today. But I could hear the stories. I could hear Brother Lowell tell about the fire of God that he's experienced in the house of God. I could hear Sister Wanda talk about how that God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. I could hear Wanda, I, I just said Wanda. I could hear Evelyn and Mike and, and Furman and Jackie and, 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 and Rick and Mary and Helen and Howard. And I could go, I could name every name in the thing, in the church. Diane's been around here forever. You want to know how God moves? Go up and look at Diane's book. She can tell you every key that every worship leader in the last 15 years have played. You look at her song, and it's got Pastor Ryan, Brother Darnell, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Tommy, Pastor Bradley, Don Boswell, Anna. Uh, she's got all the different keys because we all sing it different. She's got it all listed out. Her, she, nobody else can play off her music because there's 14,000 letters above ever. We, 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 we can talk about the goodness of God. We can talk about how great it is. But how many of us have come to the realization that we can come and shout the walls down in church and still go home and be depressed? Our problem is we've accepted that. The truth of the matter is, if we would move our altars from the front of the church to the front of the living room, we might change the way we feel at home. Elijah gets to Bethel and he says, good church service ain't enough. Listen, Elisha, God's called me to move beyond this. You go ahead and stay here. Elisha says, I ain't staying here. I'm going to follow you. As surely as you live and the Lord lives, I'm not leaving your side. Now just to, to tie into this game just a little bit, I believe you're going to see this tonight. 
I believe you're going to see the Patriots jump out in the first quarter and in the second quarter, and the Rams are going to be following. Not far behind, but they're going to be following. I believe in the early part of this game, you're going to see the Patriots who have been there before more relaxed, and the Rams, the jitters are going to get them, and they're going to be following a little bit. But I believe we're going to see some things happen here. So Elijah says, church isn't enough. I'm going on. Elisha says, I'm going to follow you. So where do they go from Bethel? They go to Jericho. Now, I named Jericho myself because every time I think of Jericho, I think of the walls of Jericho. And I can imagine that if I was going to Jericho, the thing I would remember is that this is where we had victory. This is where we've won. It becomes a home of victory. Jericho's a place where we know how to be victorious. Can I tell you what Jericho is to the church? Especially the baby boomer Pentecostal church. Jericho is found. Dear Lord, I got too many millennials. Jericho is found in a redback hymnal. Come on. It's what we're comfortable with. We remember the victory when we sing Amazing Grace. We remember the victory of when we all get to heaven. We remember the victory of when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I grew up on that stuff. I remember the power. I'm going to tell you right now, I remember the Holy Ghost fell when somebody got up and sang, I'm going to wear a robe and crown. Lord have mercy you had church if somebody got up and sang keep on the firing line he's got up on the platform he's got back at the door he's got in the amen corner he's got all over the floor Woo, that's dance music right there now but if we're honest those songs conjure up the memories of victory. They excite our history. But they don't change our present. Jericho is a home of victory. It's something that is comfortable. It's something where we know where we're at. Let's look at these teams again. Tom Brady has won five Super Bowl rings. He has a Super Bowl ring for every finger on one hand. If he wins tonight, he will have the record for all-time Super Bowl wins of any single player. There's one other player that has six, that has five. And he played for, I believe it was the, the, the 49ers and the Cowboys, and I heard his name earlier and I can't remember it. He was one of the linemen. And I know he won a couple with the Cowboys, and I think a couple with the 49ers. Five Super Bowl rings. When he walks into the Super Bowl, this is a home of victory. He's been here before. I believe, if I remember correctly, he's won a Super Bowl in Atlanta before. He, he's in a place that he knows. Jerry Goff, young 24-year-old, second, uh, second or third year in the NFL, He's never played in a Super Bowl. He's heard about it. He's dreamed of it. When he was a little kid in the alleyway playing ball, he remembers dropping back to pass to throw a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. But he ain't never been there. We come back to Elijah and Elisha. They get to Jericho and Elijah realizes we've won here before. We know what the power is here. We've got this. We know how to do this. We know what we're doing. We're not doing anything we haven't done before. Boy, that sounds like the modern church, doesn't it? We know how to have church. I mean, the way you have church is you come. You go get you a suit and tie and a nice dress, and you go in, and you have three songs, two courses. Preacher gets up and preaches three points in a poem. 
Oh, I'm Mr. Change Agent. Everybody said leadership knows I run the same schedule every Sunday. They make fun of me even when I lead worship that we always got to do. Can't hold me down. You know, at least it's not trading my sorrows. Did, did, did that for 14 years. You know why? I tell you why. I can sing them. I start throwing in new stuff. I get nervous. You know what happens? I learn a new song, and we're going to sing it a bunch. Hope you like Isaiah 6. (laughs) I like that one. Hey, I did good today. We didn't play Chain Breaker today. We will next time I lead. We didn't do Old Church Choir. We'll probably do that one next time I lead, too. That's one of my new ones. I, I know it. I'm comfortable with it. I've won with that before. I'm going to tell you, from, from leading worship, some of the songs I pick is because I've won with that before. Mm, I remember service went well when we sang that. So we're going to do that because we know it. See, a new generation comes in and says, oh, we haven't been here before. So we're not afraid to do something new. See, we need an infusion that brings a vision that says we've got to step outside of what we know. we got to step outside of where we've been. Elijah says, I've been here, I've done that. And this young man, Elijah, is driving me batty. <laughs> Elijah, he was, he was impetuous. You don't believe it? Read on after this. He parted the water. Then he goes down the road and somebody comes up. And they said, get out of here, Baldy. <laughs> what did they say? Read it. You know what? Elisha didn't go. <laughs> Elisha said. I'm going to call the bears down on you. And he cursed those young boys, teenagers. And a she-bear came out of the woods and devoured there and killed 14 of them. See, Elijah's like, man, just let it go. And Elijah's like, oh, no, no, they called me bald. They're going down. They're going down. You know what? Our problem is there's way too many of us that mill around Jericho where we've had victory and we talk about the revivals of the past. We talk about the moves of God in the past. And when sin raises up and when sin pokes his head up, we go, well, it's okay because we used to be victorious here. But we need an Elisha that will come in and say, I know there was a revival back there, and that's great and that's fantastic, but I'm not letting anybody steal what I've got today. We have become passive in our faith. We need some people that come in victorious and powerful and say, I'm not leaving. Elijah, understanding he's getting closer to the end, looks at Elisha and says, you stay here. Please stay. Sit. God is calling me. Now, can I, can I tell you something? I, I've skipped over this everywhere else. This is the last place I get to do it, so let me hit it here. When they left Gilgal, he said, stay here. God is calling me to the house of God, to Bethel. God didn't call you. He called me. When they got to the house of Bethel, he said, stay here. God is calling me. To Jericho. This is my call. You hear some jealousy in that? He gets to Jericho. Stay here. 
God is calling me to cross the Jordan. God is calling me to, to finish my race. I don't need you anymore. You can quit following me because this isn't about you. It's about me. Boy, does that sound like the church. We ain't going to sing those newfangled songs because we don't like them. Honey, it ain't about you anyway. We're not going to change up our schedule because we like it this way. It ain't about you. I, we keep telling a world that is dying and going to a fiery hell that God is calling. Quit telling them God called me and start telling them God has called us. Stay here. God is calling me. Elisha says, oh, no, 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 no. Sure as the Lord lives and, and the Lord of your heart lives and God of the world lives, I'm going with you. I'm staying with you. So they go to the Jordan. Jordan is a place of transition. It is the border between the wilderness and the promised land. And it's about to be the train station for the chariot of fire. It's about to be the place that Elijah is going to be tra translated it's about to be the place that Elijah is going to be transitioned from this life to God's life. Things happen in transition. When I look at the game tonight, I see a transition. The combined age of Bill Belichick and his star quarterback, Tom Brady, is 107 years. Bill Belichick is 66 years old, and Tom Brady is 41 years old. Tom Brady already holds the record to be the oldest quarterback to start the Super Bowl. I believe he already holds the record to be the oldest quarterback to win the Super Bowl from two years ago. 107 years. But the combined age between Sean McVay and Jared Goff, Sean McVay is 33, Jared Goff is 24, it's 57 years. Now, I'm going to tell you, this may not affect the game tonight, but it's going to affect the game five years from now. There's going to come a time that a combined age of 107 can't do it no more. And if the league doesn't start celebrating some younger stars, it'll die. Hello. Do we even want to talk about the combined age of our church? Yeah. I don't even want to talk about the combined age of my marriage. We got another we got another six months before we break the century mark. Right now the combined age of our marriage is ninety nine years. I'm going to tell you something. We need some young people. We need to understand some transition. Because if we hold it, it dies with us. So once you see what happens as they get into Jericho. I mean, into the crossing the Jordan. They cross the Jordan. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, what do you want? Oh, I've got a sermon I preach called, What Do You Want? I don't think I preached it here. I preached it my first Sunday in Wilmington, Delaware. Scared my wife to death. She wasn't even sure if we should pack, unpack. I got up and preached, what do you want? And I went through the Bible and all the different things that people wanted. Talked about Judas wanted money. The mother of James and John wanted position and authority for her kids. I got to that part, and I first Sunday in New Church. And I said, by the way, if you want to know who has the authority, 
God called me and placed me as your pastor. I've got the authority. I'm in charge. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. This is my church from this point on. First Sunday. Best going. What do you want? Do you want a title? Do you want a position? Elisha says, I don't want what you've got. I want more. Can I tell you, my guess is, Bible doesn't say, but my guess is, that infuriated Elijah. What do you mean you want more? Well, huh. we'll just see, big boy. I talked to a young pastor a few weeks ago. One of my students, some of you have had the chance to meet her. Melissa Graham, we went to her church, The Avenue, in Tennessee last year. When we went to their church, The Avenue, last year, following the Men and Women of Action rally, she had been one of my students in my youth group. They had started their church, now it's been five or six years ago there, last year it had been four or five years ago. They had started with 12 people. The Sunday before we were there last year, they had had their largest regular Sunday attendance in the history of their church with 800 people. Man, we had church that day too. It was an impressive place to be. I called her the other day and I said, Melissa, I need some advice. We need to reach a new generation. You're in that generation and you're reaching that generation. You know what she told me? She said, well, you got to have a culture change. She said, this generation thrives on honesty and openness. Said, your mission statement is important, but you got to have some core values. And it's got to be more than you say it, you got to live it. She was very careful not to tell me all of their core values because she said our core values are going to be different than their core values. But she said, for example, one of our core values is that we expect to give excellence to God because God deserves excellence. I said, that's right, that's good. She goes, but she calls me uh, Pastor T. But Pastor T, that means... That if there's a ministry or somebody in your church that's leading a ministry that isn't leading it in excellence, you get rid of it. Oh. But what do you do? You don't have that ministry until it can be excellent. See, because what she said, this generation will look at that and they'll say, they say they want excellent, but they're liars. We've got into a situation where, well, now we don't want to offend nobody. We don't want we don't want to step on anybody's toes. Let me tell you something. She said, she says, you she said, when we started this church, her dad is a state overseer. She said, when we started this church, we told my dad and other people that when we get there, we're not gonna put up with the junk. And she goes, You know what everybody told us? Uh-huh. You ain't there. You don't know. You'll put up with it. But she's an Elisha. See, Elijah said, oh, we, 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 we got to keep everybody happy. Elisha said, I'll call the bears down. Because there's a power. See, all the way through Elisha's ministry, his, his last living miracle, king came to him and said, what do we got? An evil king, let me clarify that. An evil king came to him and said, if you die, how are we going to defeat our enemy? He said, get out some arrows and beat the ground. King pulls out the arrows and goes, tap, tap, tap. Elijah's like, what is wrong with you? All you're going to do now is defeat the enemy three times and then they're going to rise up and destroy you. You should have beat the ground until you couldn't handle it anymore. He said, it is time that we have a fire in our life. From the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, he walked with a fire. 
Elijah. Ask Elisha, what do you want? And Elisha says, I want twice what you've got. <laughs> yeah, you think you're that big cheese. You just think you're all about that. I'm going to tell you, sometimes I preach messages like this and people go, well, that ain't happening in our church. That ain't, ain't going to happen here. I saw the moving truck he moved in with. He moved out with the same truck. Tell you something. Elijah says, you ask a hard thing. Can we interpret that just a little bit? You know who I am, boy? I am Elijah. I'm Elijah. And you think you can do twice what I did? You ask something tough because I... I mean, I'm it. I'm top. Elijah says, I want twice. Elijah says, fine. If you see me when I disappear, then you can have it. But if you don't, it ain't yours anyway. Do you realize here, Elijah still isn't wanting to give it up. But Elisha grabbed old. Said, I ain't going nowhere. They walk on down the road, they're talking, and all of a sudden, a chariot of fire comes and separates them and horses of fire. Grabs Elijah and begins to take him up in a whirlwind. I love that verse. And Elisha saw it. I see you! Bible says he began to cry out, oh man of God, let me tell you what I see. I see the chariot of fire. I see the horse of fire. I see the hand of God. I can see it. And this is the great place. Whereas Elijah's taking off, Elijah comes down and he hands the mantle off to Elisha. If you shook your head, you didn't read your Bible. Because Elijah was willing to take the mantle all the way to heaven with him. He don't deserve it. He's just going to call bears out of the woods. He's not going to do this the way I'd have done it. He's acting like the baby boomer generation in the Pentecostal church. Nobody can have the revival like we had the revival, so we'll die with the revival. But somewhere, and the Bible doesn't even tell us where. Somewhere the mantle comes out of his hand. Because I'm going to tell you, when your mantle of anointing comes into the presence of the anointer, your mantle becomes unimportant. And that mantle fell. Not to Elisha, but to the ground. And Elisha had to go and pick it up. I wish I had more baby. I wish I had more millennials here. If you're watching this online, please stay with us. Stay with us even when we're stubborn, even when we're obstinate, even when we don't want to give to you. Hang on, because one of these days we're going to drop the mantle. We're already. Pastor, this is supposed to be Super Bowl Sunday. You're supposed to be happy. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. Let me tell you something. We have white-knuckled our grip on the mantle of anointing long enough. But can I tell you something? I still don't want you to give it up. Pastor, you're confusing us. Because here's the next problem that we could run into. We could have a bunch of people. I don't know whose mantle this is, but I'm going to borrow it. We could have a bunch of people going, here, have my mantle. I'm just going to sit here. See, I think we already have too many of you that have given up your mantle. Long before you were supposed to give up your mantle. What I want 
is I want some people that'll come up here. Come here, Corey. You're my, you're my, you're my millennial in the house. I want some people to say, listen, I ain't giving this up. And I don't even like all the stuff you do. Well, that's true. We know that, yeah. But here's what I want you to I want you to grab hold of that. Don't you let go of that mantle. But I ain't letting go in either. Because as long as I've still got breath, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to this mantle. And and, and, and as long that the only way you're gonna get the mantle out of my hand is when God takes me to glory. But you better hang on because one of these days that the chariot of fire is gonna come, and all of a sudden my mantle of preaching is gonna go, Woo! I'm going to heaven. And then you can have it then. But I don't want to make you have to fight. Let go. Now why'd you let go? I told you don't let go. See, that's the problem. What I don't want is I don't want us throwing it away too soon. I think we've messed this scripture up. I've done it in my own family. I want to give you my mantle. I ain't giving you my mantle. It's my mantle. But I'll let you hold on to it with me. Come on. Come on. How much you, how much you want it? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. How much you want it? There you go. You know what would happen to our church? If the next generation started chasing the mantle? You know what happened to church? If all of a sudden we had some baby boomers holding the front of a mantle and some millennials holding the back of a mantle. And all of a sudden, maybe that baby boomer is going over here and that millennial goes, oh, but there's a place that needs this anointing over here. And they may pull us and we can take the fire that God has put in us. When the young chases the old, eventually the young will win. Every year when I preach this sermon, I make a prediction. If you want to know what my prediction is, I believe you're going to see a late fourth quarter victory by the Los Angeles Rams. Youth is going to overtake. There's going to be a handoff from a dynasty to a destiny. And somewhere late in the fourth quarter, the freshness of youth is going to overtake the experience of age but you know what I'm more concerned about I want to see the day that the freshness of youth takes over the complacency of age in the church I want to see the day that the mantle being carried by two generations at one time not only empowers a new generation, but holds up an old generation. My wife has a hard time walking. Until, and I won't even talk about the fact that I'm younger than she is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that publicly. But there's a time when she takes my arm and the strength of my legs and the strength of my arms holds up the weakness of hers. When two generations grab a hold of the mantle, we can carry it stronger and further and into more ministry than we ever dreamed. This is not a sermon necessarily designed for salvation. But it's a sermon designed for living. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be a little arrogant here. I don't do that often. Quit looking at me like that, Beth. I'm going to be a little arrogant. I will probably have a few people come up and go, keep on going, Pastor. Just keep telling us like we need to hear it. And that's wonderful. But what good is it to hear it if we don't change? What good is it to hear it if we don't let it change the way we live? I know that there's some millennials out there that drive you batty. (laughs) 
I've got a millennial and a, and a, and a, and a what, what's the next group called? I forget what they're called. What, what? Anyway, Gen something. Generation Y. Is it Y? No, X is before them. Yeah. I'm actually an X, but, but Generation Y and, 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 uh, and millennials. I've got one each as, as a child. My millennial son is weird. And my other son ain't far behind him. But I need to let them understand that I'm willing them to, for them to hold on to the edge of my anointing. I'm not giving it up yet because I ain't dead yet. But I want to teach them. And I want them to hold me up. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I don't even have a mantle because I don't know Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to, to accept him. If you need to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, there's always is a good time. If you need to get saved, I want you to just lift your hand up. By saved, I mean ask God to forgive you of your sin. Turn over your life and live a new life. Right now, if that's you, just lift up your hand. That's all you got to do. We're going we're gonna to have prayer here in a minute. I'm going to pray a prayer to close this service. But as I pray this prayer, I'm, I, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in this house and you've got a need, a spiritual need, salvation that we've already talked about, or maybe you need a healing, we have a lot of people that need healing. Debbie Derrickson is in, in uh, desperate need of healing. My aunt in Texas, they're expecting her not to make it through the weekend. Um, uh, mom and dad are probably, I don't know if they're going to be coming home from Texas today or if they're going to be staying down. They need wisdom and safety as they travel. There's a young man in New York that, young man in his early 20s, just found out they think he may have cancer. Has young children. There, there, there are unspoken needs that I know of that need God's direction, God's victory. If you're here and you've got a need, you need a physical touch, an emotional touch, a spiritual touch, a financial touch, a, 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 a relational touch. God wants to meet that need. God wants to, to meet that need in your life. And today as we end this service, I want to end it with our pastor's prayer. I want to anoint you with prayer. I want to anoint you with oil and ask God to meet your need. So as I pray, if you've got a need of any kind or if you raise your hand and you want to give your heart to the Lord, I want you to come and stand across the front of this church. And I'm going to come around and I'm going to pray with each one of you as we close this service. And I'm going to ask God to meet the needs in your life. As I pray, will you come? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would bless, that you would touch. Lord, I want you to send a victory. I want you to send a power. I want you to send an anointing. And, Lord, I want you to heal physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, Lord, and relationally, Lord, in every life and in every situation. Lord, I want you to show your power, show your love, and show your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have a need? you want prayer? Come to the front.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. And we pray that you would be with us. Move in our hearts. Move in our lives. Anoint us with your glory. Anoint us with your power. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, bless the food that we're about to partake. And give us a great time of fellowship and a wonderful time of prayer to follow. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. I want you to stay for lunch. We've got chicken cooking out there. Should have plenty to start to get started. We've got some other food back there. If we can get some people to help us and stack chairs and get tables set up so that we can roll over to, to, uh, to a meal, we'd appreciate it. Also, if you'll see Brother Dwayne, he's got the, the giving statements from last year uh, for your tax returns. So see him. He's got those available as well. Shake hands. Be friendly. Tell somebody you love them. Everybody, God loves them. You're dismissed.